What is your life story? How did Sandra get to be almost 60 sitting in this chair? Well, there were times where I used to be stupid <laughs> as, as um, teenage years that I, I honestly didn't think I was ever going to get to this age. And going back to words, my grandfather, I, I remember him sitting at the family table and he'd always be reading the newspaper and he'd say, oh, oh dear, so-and-so's died, so-and-so's died. You know, he'd be looking at the obituaries. And then he'd say, you know, as, as long as you've got your health, you've got to have your health. I never really understood that concept either until you sort of later on in years and, and you do, you, you see your parents suffer and, and, and get sick and everything and then that's when you realise, yes, health, you've got to take care of your health. Mm. That's probably num number one. Really really look after yourself and, and stay as healthy as you possibly can. And so what age did you start smoking? Um, about eight. <laughs> <laughs>
but it's been a nice, I suppose, relaxing time where people have actually been forced to sit still, stay still and um, just be in the moment instead of always, you know, rushing around, tearing around. Um, so I have, I have enjoyed that aspect of it. Mm. And we live very fast-paced lives and there's, there is not a lot of time to slow down. And I think what COVID's done for a lot of people is it's reorganised their priorities. They're starting to see what's important in life, realise, oh, all these things that I was going out and doing, they weren't that important. And what's important is the people closest to me. That's exactly right, yeah. So I, I, I think it's brought a lot of families closer together. Um, yeah, and then you hear on the news too where it hasn't been so good for some families, which is unfortunate, but then they were never really going to be that good anyway, unfortunately. But, but yeah, so I'm just pleased that we're sort of coming out of restrictions a little bit now, which will be nice. Mm. But I certainly don't plan on, you know, running around you know, this lifestyle suits me actually, being relaxed and being at home, as you know. <laughs> and you're and you and you're recently retired. You've made the dream. <laughs> oh yes. Well, actually, yesterday would have been my last work day, and Monday is my exit date. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm actually feeling quite free at the is moment. That just, so your plan was to just retire the second you hit a condition of release. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> No, look, this is this has been in the plan for a little bit now, so it just so happened that the day that I finished up to use my leave was the day, the week that restrictions started happening in Tasmania and the week you come home. Mm. So that was already pre-planned and put in the system and everything, so... Got the boop out the door a little earlier. Yeah, yeah, so oh. it worked out really well. Lucky you. So I initially approached Mum saying, hey, I'd like to interview for my podcast. Oh, my story's not that interesting. So my my goal here is to prove that, no, your story actually is quite interesting. And, you know, so far on this podcast journey, I've spoke to many interesting people with many interesting stories. But still, some of the most interesting stories I know come from my mother. These are the stories that I grew up with. Hopefully I might learn some new ones that I don't know. Um, but I'm here to, you know, get some, like I said, she's almost 60. She's got plenty of wisdom all right, and I'm here to share that with the world today. And yeah, so I suppose what I might ask you first though is now that you've hit that magical age of retirement, what is it like looking back on your working career? Well, look, looking back, you just I just really can't honestly realise where that time's gone. That That's the funny, amazing thing. And I, I remember growing up as a child and my, my grandfather used to say, oh, gee, time goes fast. And I never grasped that concept until you start getting older. But honestly, now looking back, it, it is really like a blink of an eye. Mm. It, it flies really, really quickly. Yeah. And you've probably heard it said before, many people say, you know, they don't, you don't feel your age. You, you change and you look different and you look older, but you still have that... I suppose, in a sense, that youngness within within you, and it's only when you look in the mirror that you realise that you have aged. If if I had no mirrors in this house, I still feel the same as what I did years ago. My mindset's changed, of course. I've grown over the years and matured, mm. but certainly, yeah, none of that seems to really change. Mm. So all that time went so quick. So yep. 
I don't know. What would you say to somebody that's currently sitting in a career that they don't enjoy, <clears> given <throat> how quick time goes? Well, firstly, I believe you've probably got to stay where you are until you've got something else. That's certainly what I've always believed and grown up on. You don't, you don't just leave something and have nothing. You stay where you are, you work hard at it and you improve at it. And while you're there, then you look for something else and you go from one to the other. You don't just leave and then hope something comes along. Mm. That, that's the mindset I've always grown up with. Mm. So yes, no, you, you don't, when I say you don't stay with it, it depends how bad it is and what it is. Like, did, did I enjoy my time all those years in the public service? Not really. They, they were a lot of, um, a lot of challenges in there, a lot of political correctness and things that I had to toe the line with that I wasn't really happy about. Mm. Um, but was I just going to give give that up for the sake of it well what else am I going to do where else am I going to work is it going to be better you know they it, it was a good career path in in the sense of the people that you work with your work environment you know it was safe and all the rest of it um, so you just stick it out so it, it really depends really depends and do you are you ambitious you see I suppose you reach a certain age and not really ambitious anymore you, you're just happy to go and do what you have to do and then come home and have you know what you consider is your nice family life that keeps you going to work yeah and I, I get what you mean there so essentially you're saying you know you might not necessarily enjoy all your time at work but what I suppose gave you that satisfaction was just the simple things in life you know the important things yes. family yeah and Look, just, just to reel off your things, what were some of the other jobs you've worked throughout your career? Oh, gosh. Um, I started working part-time at Coles when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Child labour. Basically, yeah. No, it was good fun, though. It gave me pocket money and got me out of the house as well, and that's, I suppose, when I started my independence, really, um, as a child. And I think back then, too, our age group, we grew up faster than what children do today. In what sense? Um, I think in, in maturity, because we were, I believe, more independent. Well, you know how I sort of baby you a bit and you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what parents are today. Whereas I had, I had the freedom to basically go and do really whatever I liked at a young age, which I would never let any of my kids or you do at that age. I might have matured quicker. <laughs> well, no, you, no you're, very, you're very mature. I suppose, not maturity, I suppose I really mean it's, it's more about um, independence. Mm. At a younger age rather than maturity, yeah. So then I worked at Myers in the store in town. I'm selling things there. Then I moved out to their bulk store. I actually become 2IC at the Moona bulk store, and that's where all the products went before they hit the shelves. Mm. Um, then I moved into their office in the city. Then, then what did I do? Yeah, I, I worked in a dry cleaners. Um, I worked at a office store actually it was one of the first stores in Hobart that started selling um, 
like electric typewriters Ooh. at the time. And they were one of the first organisations to bring in um, computers when the computer age started. So I worked with them for a while and I actually had two jobs then. There was a little takeaway shop next door. So I used to sort of head in there at six o'clock in the morning and, and make sandwiches for Ashley and then go next door to my day job <laughs> for quite a while, yeah. Then I joined, I suppose, the Army Reserves was probably the next job after I had Alicia hmm. um, when I was a single mum. So that gave, you know, put more money in our pocket that was tax-free, which was good. So that sort of helped, you know, buy the car and, you know, put carpet down and make our home nice. Um, yeah, so I was in the Army for a couple of years. Then I've worked in councils as a, as a temp worker. So I basically worked at um, the Glenorchy Police Station for the coroner in the city, for a couple of high schools. Mm. I sort of travelled around different jobs, you know, stay in a position for six months at, at a place as a temp worker, basically. Yeah. And then later on, um, went into sales, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Yeah, so sales was good. Then at, a, at one stage, we had our own party plan business as well, where I sold plants. That was really quite successful, actually. That um, helped us quite a bit financially, and it also gave me the freedom. You know, by that stage, I'd had Jenna, and I think you was a baby at the time as well. So, you know, it, it freed me up to be at home and go out and do parties of a night. So I earned quite a bit of money with that back in the day, which was really, really good. And then I went into pharmaceutical sales mm. for years. Yep. And then the public service. Yeah, and then they drained you to retirement. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, no, look, it, <clears throat> it, it was good, but in a sense it really wasn't, I suppose, me. Mm. You know, do I like legislation and reading and law and stuff like that? Oh, look, I can do it. But it, but it wasn't my forte, I suppose, but I, you know. So, so something about your career there is that it, you never really stuck to one type of job. You bounced around, you did a lot of different work throughout your life. And that's something that's, I think it's a lot more prevalent now. And I guess as we grow up, we're always sort of taught to believe that we're going to have a career and we maybe have more of an idea of only working a handful of jobs in our life, but sort of sticking at the one career, but... I think more often than not, we're going to see a lot more, and you do, a lot more people like yourself that, you know, spend their working years working a ton of different jobs. But if I had to say, you know, I think if you were to, if you were to do your life over again, I want to know what, what you think about this. I think you would be a salesperson, you'd be on Instagram, hey everybody, <laughs> what did you say, you sold party plants? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, was, I was really good at selling at party plants. Um, I was pretty good at selling the pharmaceutical products as well. She'd be on her Instagram. Use my discount code SANDRA10 for 10% off. Swipe up now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and of course, we didn't have any of um, those marketing tools that we've got. At, everybody's got at their fingertips now. If you've got a phone, you can basically market yourself, mm. which, is, which is fabulous. But of course, now I'm sort of like, I don't really want to have to do much anymore I'm just really enjoying the simple life mm. 
now. Mind so, you, I might change my mind in six months. Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think you will. I think you'll end up with a hobby um, or some form of a side hustle or a business. I think, um, I don't know, just retirement and not doing a lot might get boring, but we'll see what happens. But what were some of your marketing tactics, you know, before the day, the golden days of social media and the mobile phone? <clears throat> Food. <laughs> uh, explain. Well, basically, <clears throat> in the sales industry, when I worked for, who did I work for? Homey Ped Shoes. Hmm. So I used to have quite a big budget. So I'd travel around the state and it was a lot of organising. So to sell the shoes to any of the pharmacists, um, I would have to order in catering, you know, prepare a time that suited them. Sometimes, um, for example, I'd go to Launceston, I'd hire um, a nice room, I can't remember the place now, but it was one of the fancy places in Launceston where I'd stay, hire, hire a room for a couple of nights, order in the catering, and then you um, sent out your invitations to the pharmacist and they would come and join you at certain set times. So it was always over like a wine, champagne, food, or morning tea, afternoon tea, lunch, whatever, throughout the day. Mm. So that basically was um, a priority, was to feed your clients, to be able to give them a good deal, um, How many drinks would you give them? <laughs> well, basically, it was free-flowing, really. Was, <laughs> what, whatever they would like, you know, particularly in the night time. Yeah. yeah Enough so, to talk them into a good deal. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of planning and organising, you know, and they got to see you. And, and after you would do what they called your selling period, mm. and that was... Um, six monthly twice a year you did that so then they would be ordering in the summertime their winter stock and then in the winter time you'd be selling them your summer stock then in between you're servicing them making sure that you know everything's come in on time have all the stock arrived do they need any extra sizes you know hmm. mm. so it was just it was just managing that product in store for your customer so they didn't have to basically as easy as it was for them to not have to do anything about it the more they would buy from you so the more service you offered to them as far as you know i used to go into the pharmacies and and offer to you know stay there for a couple of hours over the lunch period and as customers were coming in i would talk to them about the product hmm. you see so yeah so that's what made it so you're one of those annoying people when you go to the mall, they won't leave you alone. Like, hey, can I tell you about this? No, not quite. No, I don't. I don't think it was that annoying. No, well, I'd like to think it wasn't. But I suppose what you're saying, a lot of it has to do with making it easy for the buyer. Yeah, and, and building good relationships with them, which mm. is which was something I was able to do, and going from different products. What once you've already, I suppose met met the clients and and you and you know your territory which i used to look after tasmania from north to south um i could then go in there as i did and i had like my own branding as well so i was able to source um giftware fragrances i think there was something else yeah that i sourced myself and that was my business 
Mm. So then I was working for myself to the people that I'd already built good rapport and relationship with over the years selling other products. Yeah. Mm, smart. And I guess what could be a modern day version of that would be brand building through maybe a social media platform, building relationships with people, building followings and an audience. And in that way you have a network so that I suppose if you have a product, you could push it. Yeah, see, and it and it's changed a lot too. Um, I don't know. See, and then time sort of moved on and changed to what they now call customer service, mm. which is what I, I just laugh at those words because there is no customer service. <laughs> you know, back back in the day, you everybody answered their phone. Um, I was reachable. You didn't go off to a call centre somewhere, you know. So I think that personalised, face-to-face contact, building a trusting rapport with clients. I don't know how how you have that anymore in this social media world, you know. Like I had to spend about an hour and a half on the phone the other day to spotlights. Now, I know we've got COVID-19 and, and a lot of businesses, you know, are going, working on, you know, just a few employees. I understand all that. But there wasn't even a message on there um, to say where you are in line or anything like that. So by the time that poor person comes to me, I had I had to make myself remember that they are probably being worked to the bone and to not sound aggressive and angry because I wasn't happy waiting for that long i would want to copy you on the other end of a phone call at a no, call center no but i but i i yeah that's what i said i i had to really um make sure i was telling myself this poor person oh, let me guess you're telling that poor person oh it's not your fault i get it's not your fault <laughs> but i'm still mad and i didn't vent at you yeah anyway they they still they still haven't sorted all all my issues and i had to email them and and tell them what was happening, how I can't log online properly because instead of my email address with the end of it being .com, it's .co without the M. So when they're trying to email me with my purchase orders as confirmation, it's not reaching me because that email address doesn't exist and it, I can't change it online. But anyway, and then you send the email explaining everything explicitly, what's happening, and you get this standard one back that says that's got nothing to do with anything I've mentioned. And I think I've gone to I've gone to a lot of trouble to dot point how you can fix it, what the problem is, and you come back with this stupid standard email that doesn't even relate to anything I've told you. And it makes me feel like I've just I've just wasted my time. But it comes under the banner of customer service mm. and it's not mm. it's far from it familiar with the term tldr no too long didn't read <laughs> i think that's what happened to your email <laughs> uh, probably. and they probably have customer service policies that restricts what they could reply yeah, in their emails as well but it's interesting you say that but i want to ask you this what's your what's your thoughts on because this is a policy that <laughs> i've seen you implement a few times of the customer's always right well, the customer is always right. I've, that, that's what I've... Hang on. For context, we... 
God help any checkout chicks at Coles where mum scans an item and she can spot that it is 50 cents more on the scanner than what yep. she saw on the ticket because she will call somebody to check, to do a price yep. check on that item. It could take five minutes, it could take ten minutes, okay. but <laughs> she's getting that item for free after that and how do I know because I have seen this firsthand. And And you know what, and this comes from... Years ago, every everything was ticketed and priced, okay? Then when they started introducing the scanning system and there's no longer any itemised value put on items, I really felt for like mum, who couldn't, couldn't read these small little barcode you know, that now the items don't have individual prices on them anymore. Can you remember those machines where you used to just click and the sticker would come out and stick on the item? No, Never had to use not. one myself, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. So that's all done away with now. And now all you've got is this small little writing in front of the item. So by the time you get to the checkout, you really when you filled your trolley you really don't know how much anything was and they're just scanning it through and of course their policy if they've um, charged you the wrong price at the checkout then you get that item for free i can remember going through a supermarket one day and i got 36 dollars worth of items for free and the annoying thing about this is is that people are getting ripped off all the time a lot of elderly. So you're doing this for the people. I'm doing this so that they make sure that they're charging people the right price. What about your poor, embarrassed son that's just followed you around the supermarket for two hours and just well, wanting to go home? Yes, I know. You always hated shopping. But there's, there's a principle behind it, Zach. The principle is you're being overcharged. It was never, it was never less... You were never being charged less at the checkout, always more. And it's the principle behind it. So, yes, I could have gone through and not said anything like everybody else doesn't or people probably don't even notice, didn't even notice. I wouldn't notice. No, see, I always, and it, it's, it's funny, if, for example, if I picked up a tin of tomatoes and I quickly look at the price... And it might say a dollar ten. When I go to the checkout, if it comes up, and it's not that I actually remember it's a dollar ten, but if it comes up at a dollar twenty, something in me says, I don't think that's right. For example, <laughs> she literally will do it over ten cents as well. It's the principle. <laughs> they are making heaps more money because people don't check these things, Zach. Mm. And you've got no evidence of it. The minute you walk out that away from that aisle and you haven't in your mind looked at the price and sort of at least put it in your memory bank somewhere you're being overcharged mm. so anyway that that doesn't happen to me i'm happy to say and i just hope that over the years when i have done this that the supermarkets are more on the ball because the last thing they want is to give you free items look out cole's big bad sandra's coming to take you down yep <laughs> Yep. Oh, look, in, in your defence, because I've taken the absolute mickey out of you there, um, I don't think I've seen you be wrong when you question an no. item being the wrong price. No, that's right. Happens all the time. Mm. 
it surprises me. I can't believe that it can happen as often as it does happen. Mm. And I suppose you're looking after the most vulnerable people who are now actually your people, which are the pensioners. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds funny. So has, it, has, it, has, it, has it hit you yet that you're actually officially a pensioner? No. No. <laughs> you're a golden oldie. I know. So, now that you're a pensioner, I want you to just take a moment here. I want you to think back on your life, because I'm going to ask you the big question, which is... And I want you to... And you know, you can start as early as you like, but I think from what we were discussing yesterday, from maybe about the time you're eight years old, what is your life story? How did Sandra get to be almost 60 sitting in this chair? Well, there were times where I used to be stupid <laughs> as, as um, teenage years that I, I honestly didn't think I was ever going to get to this age. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling um, very satisfied very humbled and proud because some of my friends haven't made it to this age. Mm. So I'm proud to be this age and to be healthy as well. And health plays a real important part. And going back to words, my grandfather, I, I remember him sitting at the family table and he'd always be reading the newspaper and he'd say, oh, oh dear, so-and-so's died, so-and-so's died. You know, he'd be looking at the obituaries. And I used to think, oh, gee, that, that's morbid. You know, again, back then, that concept, I didn't understand. And, and then he'd say, you know, as, as long as you've got your health, you've got to have your health. And again, growing up healthy and, and never having really anything apart from uh, suffering, um, even now sometimes, you know, tonsillitis or a sore throat is as bad as it gets for me. I never really understood that concept either until you sort of later on in years and, and you do, you, you see your parents suffer and, and, and get sick and everything and then that's when you realise, yes, health, you've got to take care of your health. That's probably num number one. Really, really look after yourself and, and stay as healthy as you possibly can. And so what age did you start smoking? Um, about eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah, that's um, very bogan, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we all grew up in a bogan house, really, I suppose. In, in, in the suburbs, that's just how it was. Everybody in the house smoked. So what are you going to do as a child? Mm. You're going to pinch everybody's cigarettes and you're going to smoke them. <laughs> and for the record, what, what, when did you quit? Um, when I was... Before I had Jenna. Okay, so how old were you? Must have been, what, in your mid to late 20s? Yeah, I, I think I quit in about when I was about 23, 24. 23, 24. Hmm. And Roughly. And my guess would be you've probably made a full recovery even after those, what, 14-odd years of smoking cigarettes? Oh, gosh, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's an interesting story you told me about um, when you used to buy your cigarettes when you were eight years old. Do you want to, you know, dive into that? We can carry on your life story from there. Oh, yeah, just, just a funny little thing that, you know, memory takes you back with um, my girlfriend, Nolene, up the road. We both smoked. So we used to sort of, between the two of us, 
go round our house and you know steal everybody's cigarettes and um, save them up for ourselves. And I actually had an old the old um, woodshed out out the back. Grandfather let me have it as like my cubby house. Mm. So we used to have all our stores and leftover crockery and you know tried to make it as homey as we could as our little little, little cubby house. house that's right and it's funnily enough what have i got out the back now Zach? <laughs> i've got a shed out the back now she so changed one bit that that's just comes from my childhood which is funny yeah so um i don't know how it come about but mum obviously thought it would be good if i would go to sunday school so and just for context no one in the family is Christian or anything like no, that? No, We're, no. Not as a Christian. Traditional, yes. So, yes, everybody in the family, you know, you, you got your babies christened. You got married in the church. You christened your babies in the church. You went to church for funerals and weddings and christenings, basically. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you really didn't open a Bible or follow any of God's teachings or anything like that. At Easter time, you ate fish. Um, and at Christmas time, you sang carols mm. sort of thing. So you did all the pagan traditions, but none That's of the actual exactly Christianity. That's exactly right. So, but and, hang on, what kind of rat bag were you then that <laughs> Nan thought she had to send you to Sunday school? Yeah, well, that's, that's it too. <coughs> so anyway... It, it was a bit of a fair bit of a fair walk. So mm. I used to sort of, I suppose, con mum into saying, well, if you want me to go to Sunday school, because mum worked full time. I grew up in my grandparents' house with mum and all my uncles and aunties sort of thing. So room in the house was full all the time. And I slept in a bedroom with my mother and my auntie. And there was many years there where... Mum and I slept in a double bed, mm. you know, so things were tight in the house back then. So I used to con mum and say, well, if you want me to go to Sunday school, um, I think I might have to get a taxi. So I'm pretty sure it was about 80 cents, roughly. And so mum used to leave 80 cents out for, out for me to go and um, go to Sunday school with a taxi. But of course, Nolan and I used to just buy our cigarettes with the 80 cents and we'd walk to Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> so you still showed up? Yeah, yeah. Which obviously impacted my life mm. because even back at that young age, and that's probably only about nine or ten, I'm guessing, mm. when I started going to Sunday school. Um, but yeah, so I've always had a love of God and realised that you know somehow God made this world and that that he loved me I always sort of grew up knowing knowing that and knowing God was real mm. yeah not that I was a real good child all the time or followed things until later on but um, mm. yeah but my childhood was was filled with being a tomboy really mm. and what, what kind of mischief would you get up to well Nolan and I had a, at a tree house um, around near the YMCA and this there was a creek that used to run along there and they had beautiful big willow trees and um, big gum trees so Nolene and I would get her father's um, equipment her saws and um, nails and we had our own little hammers we had our own um, kerosene lanterns um, 
And back in the day, you know, you really did buy apples and they come in an apple box. So we used to dismantle the apple boxes so that we would, up our tree, we would have, take one of the sides out from the apple box and we'd nail it where the tree branches sort of come out in a V and we put our apple box there so we could sit. So like made out of wooden planks? Yeah, basically. So that's where Crash Bandicoot gets that from. (laughs) Yeah. So um, we also sold, (laughs) sawed Nolene's father's ladder in half, tied a rope to it, right, took half the ladder. So (laughs) tied the... I could never. I wasn't a good climber, so I used to I sort of get that from now. <laughs> I I used to help Nolene up first, right? Um, and we we had um, like our own little tomahawk axes, so we grooved into the tree a little bit where you could where she could like put her foot to sort of grip, and then I'd sort of push her up. She would have the rope to the ladder, so we ended up, we had this ladder tied up in the tree that we would pull up so no other kids could come up, <laughs> right? We, we had nailed our apple boxes up there, so we had seating. We'd taken a few cups and saucers, right, from home that we'd sort of steal and put up there. So this was like our tree house, mm. overlooking a creek which overlooked the King George V football oval. And back in those days, Tasmania had um, its own football, like the AFL. Well, Tasmania had their Tasmanian football, so it was very big. So football was played every Saturday at North Hobart, at Glenorchy, at New Norfolk, Launceston, you know, all around the state, big teams, right? So on the weekend, what would happen is I'd push Nolene up the tree, We've got our ladder up there tied. She would lower the ladder, then I could get up, and we'd sit up there and we'd watch the football. We'd, we'd have a bit of money with us, and um, we'd go up to the fish and chip shop up to George's. Mm. We'd buy fish and chips. We'd come back to our tree house, and up we'd go and watch the football. Oh. Yeah, so we, we had an absolute ball. And it sounds like you're, you're more handy than what I am. I don't think I... No. I'd go too well trying to make a treehouse myself. No, but that's what Nolan and I used to do. And round near where the um, swimming pool area is, a mm. whole lot of bush area there too. So what when I used to, I used to sleep over at Nolan's house probably nearly every weekend. And what we would do is we would we would steal um, from her mother's kitchen and, and my mother's kitchen sort of thing. We'd take eggs, we'd take a frying pan. We always had matches, um, our cigarettes and, and bread and, and whatever. We would go into the bush, we would light a fire and we would cook our breakfast and mm. sit and smoke. <laughs> <laughs> you almost sound like you're playing like an RPG video game. <laughs> Yeah, so we used to have fun. We were always climbing trees. Then, of course, in front of the houses where the creek was, where we had our tree house, um, the council decided that, you know, they're going to put pipes in. But, so, you know, we our weekends were spent in the creek, falling in, swinging on willow trees, and the, the water used to run from... Um, 
Constance Avenue bit there, right down to the Derwent, where the Derwent Entertainment Centre is. Mm. So we, we would just play down in the creek, throw rocks. You know what I mean? We, we just had a great time doing that. Then, of course, they were putting the pipes in. And the pipes went under the train line mm. from way up in Glenorchy. And then the pipes went down to um, where the entertainment centre is. So this is where our lanterns come in handy. We had our kerosene lanterns. And we used to go down the pipes. And, of course, it's dark, so you need your lanterns. So we, we used to spend our time <laughs> in tunnels <laughs> under the ground with our lanterns. Yeah, that, that was really good. And we used to love it when the train was coming to sit under <laughs> the train tracks. <laughs> Why was I not allowed to do any of this fun That's stuff? what I'm saying. That, that's what I mean. We, we were much more independent and doing things that I would never let you kids you, do. You barely let me go sleep over at a friend's house. Were you doing all of this? Yeah, I know. We had to be careful. Things changed. Things changed. Nah, the media just scared you more, but... Possibly. Hang on, I'm going to turn this on silent. Jenna and video calls every two seconds. Oh, she probably wanted to talk to me again. Yeah, my well, sorry, sorry. Birthday girl's busy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and so look, you got to grow up in a very interesting time. So you know, talk, what about like your sort of later teens or your early twenties in the in the seventies? What talk? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh gosh. Well, it went from smoking to drinking <laughs> at an early age, and um. Yeah, just every every Friday night, a group of us kids used to go to the YMCA. Then they built the YMCA along near where the pipes were in that tree house. So I never, ever really moved far from there. Um, but we used to, um, there was an older guy, Wilbur. There was just a big group of friends from school, from Rosetta School, from Cosgrove School. And we used to gather at the YMCA. We used to actually go into the YMCA and sit in there. And at that time, it's really disgusting now when I think about it. But we used to sit inside and smoke our cigarettes at the YMCA. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we used to play eight ball, um, table tennis. Used to love playing table tennis there, squash. And it was free at the time. So on a Friday night, they used to call us the drop-ins, right? So kids from all around the area could go to the YMCA, mix together. Um, you know, they sold Coke and lollies and, and stuff like that. You'd go in the trampoline and do, you know, jump around on the trampoline. So that become, you know, every, every Friday night, that's what we did. Then it sort of turned into... Um, couple of the older guys what was his name Wilbur yeah he was one of the first ones to have like a cassette radio player a portable one mm. where you play your cassettes in so he used to bring the music and he was old enough so he could go to the Elwick across the road over the um, railway lines to to the Elwick hotel and he would go and buy our beer <laughs> <laughs> and then we would sit at the trees and we'd drink. Blackberry nip. <laughs> Yuck. Um, and drink beer and, and just muck around. Yeah. Mm. But it was all good, harmless fun. 
you know, there, there wasn't anything, I suppose, sinister or bad. We weren't, we weren't, we, we never would go and steal or break into anything or do anybody harm or anything like that. We, we just had our own little place at the trees, at the YMCA, where we could be kids, be friends, and just smoke and drink and talk and listen to music. Okay. Yeah. Do you reckon you drank as much as what I would drink as a teenager? Not, I'm not talking about frequency, but I'm more so amount. Yeah. Because you see, my generation was, hey, let, let's drink till we're face down in a field <laughs> somewhere. So it's like there's like the meme, and it's like it's like <laughs> it's like, mum, how are you getting home? And then it's like somebody on an ambulance stretcher. <laughs> Um, no. and trust me if, and, and, if we, and we didn't do drugs either mm. I, I might add in the 70s yeah no you didn't even smoke pot no not then no no mm. no so it wasn't that's what I'm saying it it sounds like it was real boganish and everything and it was but we were good mm. we were we were good I mean, we really shouldn't have been drinking or smoking underage but we we didn't do anything bad, and there was never any drug. Not that I knew of. I never I never had drugs or anybody come up try to sell to me or anything like that at the time. No. Mm. And so, what happened as you, um, I suppose, started getting older, moving into your twenties? Yeah. So, well, of course, I was married when I was nineteen, mm. and um, had Alicia. So that made me basically grow up pretty quickly um yeah so so that that was a, that was a good time as well so a lot of that sort of stopped mm. yeah yeah and i become well what i would consider a, a bit of a mature parent i still used to go out sometimes you know mum would babysit mm. and i'd go out but um not not to the extent that i did as a teenager really yeah Mm. And then, and I look. I, I know you don't want to sort of go into that, but um, what what sort of happened? Because at some point you then became a single mother, so you relate. There was a breakdown in your first marriage, that relationship. Yeah. And then, what was going on in your life afterwards? Well, afterwards, it was it was just a matter of, you know, planning a life, really, just for for Alicia and I, and um, and that's around the time where I become a Christian. Mm. as well where God really moved in my life because you know as, as I said I always always believed always prayed um, as a child and even in those teenage years where you know I drank and I smoked too much you know God was always there for me mm. sort of thing but then God really moved at a, at a time in my life where you know I was I was separated and um yeah, he really made himself known to me at a time when I was probably going to go down a dark path. Um, so, yeah, walk, walk me through this. What, what, because it, it, you always had that belief, but what was your actual well, I experience had, leading up to... Yeah, well, and, and I didn't understand. I knew that spiritually God was, God was alive and he was real, but I didn't realise the dark side was as dark as what it was. Hmm. And with fortune telling and um, that sort of interested me. So I'd been to a couple of fortune tellers and they invited me to go along to... Before you get to this, what, what, did, what did one of the fortune... What did the 
fortune tellers tell you because you had one initially what that said she couldn't read you yeah yeah and and i i put this later on when i when i looked back at it i thought god was protecting me mm. i could see god's protection on me because i went to the fortune telling you and they said oh look i'm not getting a reading can't can't read anything from you and i'm sort of like desperate saying no surely you must must be able to and they said no and, and I believe that was God's protection because I was walking into something very dangerous, which people do willy-nilly all the time because you don't understand yeah. how dangerous these spiritual things are. Mm. But I see his protection there. Yeah. And then she told me there was something about a, a green aura, which is the um, most powerful aura or something around you. And I expressed that I'm interested in this and how... You know how could I follow up on it? So I was invited to, hmm, maybe it was sort of like a bit of a witch's meeting or like something. Like a coven, I think they call it. I don't, I don't know, something like that. And and I stressed, you know, this is not a bad thing. Oh no, it's not bad. Hmm. And I was just taking it at face value. So that was sort of in the back of my mind at the time. And then, um, on my twenty first birthday, I'd invited friends around um and alicia had hurt herself down at mum's place and gate fell on her and she had a cut on her above her eyebrow somewhere so that basically cancelled my drinks for that night but of course you know just with the phone on the wall and nobody had mobile phones trying to ring people to tell them that it's off mm. and as as it turned out a few people still turned up who i'd forgotten i'd invited and one of them I didn't know was a Christian guy, hmm. Tony. And um, we'd, I hadn't known him for that long, just met him out with my friend Mary down at um, the Carlisle at a disco. And um, I was talking about how I was going to go to this meeting, you know, this spiritual sort of meeting. And he just stressed so much how, how wrong that would be that he couldn't explain to me really why I shouldn't go, but his mother was a good, devout, God-fearing Christian, and he said, please don't go there. He said, um, would you be interested? Come and talk to my mother. My mother knows all about this. All I know is that's really bad. It's really wrong. Don't do it. Um, and, but my mother would be able to explain things to you much better than what I can. So as it turned out, my friend Mary and I um, went and visited his mother and she basically prayed with us, showed us in the Bible where what I was about to do was, was very bad and dark, even though they were saying it was good and it was okay, that spiritually it's bad and very dark and it's the opposite of God. Mm. So, and of course, always believing in God and, and loving God and his creation I had a decision to make you know am I going to go down this path I basically had to choose really am I going to follow good or evil and I chose choose God chose God happily so I never ever went down that path but that was God protecting me I know that mm. and did anything happen in particular when you went to this person's place other than her praying for you and you guys praying with her or well, I suppose that that's where I become born again. Hmm. So 
things after that. Not that I understood a lot of it at the time, but things in your life started to change. I started to pray more. I wanted to read the Bible. I got more interested in the things of God and I and you know then God reveals in you and you just know that you know that you know and God just changed changed my life completely around when I come to him mm. even to the point where I I decided that you know being being a single mother and you know basically married at 19 and I think I was divorced before I was 21 Mm. I think sort of thing a lot that that was um, you know a bad time in my life but God took me from there and I, and I said to God that's it I don't want any other man or anything like that I'm not going out to try and find a partner if you want me to have somebody I was basically going to live a life of celebrancy like a nun mm sort of thing but not become a nun good on but, you but but that's that's what my heart was at that time and i wouldn't I, have been here Shit. no that's right and i said to god if if you want me <clears throat> to have somebody you're going to have to bring them to my door because i am not going out looking that's it i'm done sort of thing so how long till the vcr repairman showed up <laughs> um yeah, so as, as it turned out, I, I become a bit of a, a full-on Christian, as did my friend Mary. And, Ty, and she actually married. Mary married Tony, who mm. first introduced us to God, and I, I was her bridesmaid, one of her bridesmaids. Mm. Um, so that ended, you know, went really well for them as well at the time. Um, yeah, so after I sort of, I suppose, made that pact with God, what happened was I was working in... Again, one of the ver first shops in Hobart that sold um, video recorders, mm. VCRs and Beta. So I used to work in there part-time and I actually purchased a second-hand one that had come back in the shop for repair. And the manager said to me, Look, we're just going to have to send this away to be repaired, which at the time I didn't realise was a guy in Hobart. He was the only guy in Hobart that repaired videos at the time, had his own business. He said, so, you know, he's gone away. But when he comes back, he'll fix this VCR for you and then, then you'll have it. So it was going to be a bit of a six-week process but at the time I was getting it second hand at a good price and they were quite expensive back then mm. and I couldn't afford it so as it turns out so I'd become a Christian and my cousin Shane had also been a Christian and I hadn't really seen him but my mother was telling me that oh Shane's Shane's into something weird I don't know what it is um, and his mother was telling Shane that, oh, Sandra's into something weird. I'm not sure what she's doing, but she's gone trompo sort of thing. <laughs> and um, as it turned out, Shane and I, Shane must have called and said, you know, it'd be good if we catch, caught up. So as the story unfolds and turns out, after I said to God, you have to bring somebody to my door, 
I had a VCR that I bought that I couldn't use because it was at a repair shop and this person was away. What I didn't know was that person was actually Lou. Mm. Lou was a full-on Christian as well and had his own shop in the city. Shane had met up with Lou at Bible studies. Shane called me when he heard that I'd become a Christian. Shane was concerned, thinking that I might be a Hare Krishna. I was also thinking the same things about him. What is Shane into? He's probably into some sort of an occult. You know, we were concerned about each other. What are we doing? So we decided to meet up. So what actually happened was Shane come to my door with Lou to talk, to find out what I was into. And then as we both discovered that we had both accepted Jesus, had come to the Lord, mm. round about the same sort of time. So that's how God brought Lou to my door. Well, well, what was that experience meeting Dad for the first time? Well, at the time, he, he was just like a mate of Shane's. Mm. And that's when I found out, I think, at the time when he came to the door and... Lou realised that I was working at the video shop in Glenorchy and I think that might have, because I didn't know he fixed videos or anything, right? Mm. And that might have been at the time where he'd been away, I think he'd been to the Philippines and that's why my video was in his shop and it wasn't being, you know, it was going to take about six weeks for me before I could actually get it. Mm. And then we both learnt that, oh, so you work for these people who he's fixing the VCRs for. He's getting the servicing for those mm. as well. So it was just really, you know, I could see God there. God brought him to my door, you know. Um, and I think Lou must have felt that as well. And then within six months, we were married. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really scary for mum at the time. <laughs> oh, my family, as you can imagine. Mm. But you got the hunk of Hobart, I guess. Dad was, you know, he was was he still bodybuilding? When oh, you gosh, yeah. yes. Um, Dad was always in Hobart back in those days. He was, he was one of the biggest men mm. here. Biggest, muscliest man. So you snatched him right off the market. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Oh, hang on. I think I think here he is. Do you want to... Dude, we're just talking about you. Do you want to make a quick appearance? That's what Jenna got you from Hill Street. Oh! Seafood platter. Cost her 120 bucks. I had to pick it up. So they just freshly made up, so you better come put it away wherever you want it. So I've only got about 10 more minutes of footage on the camera. Oh, wow. So Mum's just been excited. My sister has just sent her a seafood platter. Yum. Mum loves her seafood. That's not something that we share. <laughs> You know, it's funny, if, um, just as we're talking about Dad, he, he makes a short appearance. So, those of you who don't know, there's, um, there's my dad, Lou. <laughs> yeah, so, so Dad was one of the biggest men in Hobart. He, one of the, he was known as one of the strongest men too, mm. Yeah, from around the gym. So, he's always been well known in Hobart. And, of course, back in the day, I, I was the real skinny, blonde-headed... Um, girl but I, I, I guess you almost <laughs> just saying <laughs> i suppose what i what i was really getting at was, was was it a love at first sight moment was there where you got to know each other a bit more than somebody asked somebody else out yeah it 
I just sort of knew. What, when you saw him? Basically, yes, yeah. And that's why I knew it was from God because I'd said all that to God. I wasn't expecting anyone or anything. And it was just like, huh? Well, given we're Tasmanian, lucky it was Lou and not your cousin. Because <laughs> 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 your cousin showed up at the door that day too. <laughs> yeah, ha ha, Zach. Yeah. No, so, yes. And I think we, we both knew. We, we both knew. So who asked you out? Well, it wasn't like asking out, out, because we didn't really go out, you know. I'd, I'd stopped going out. That that was a part of my life yeah, that... Uh, yeah, not, not going out, but like on a date, silly. Well, we, we really didn't go on a date. So what did Dad, you... would, Dad would just come and visit. Okay. So and I'd, and who, I'd who, cook so for him. Who, so who invited... Who invited um, him around? So you invited him around? Yeah, I probably again. invited invited so them both back around and said, oh, we'll come around and, you know, we'll have a meal or cook a meal. So this just became a regular thing until you stopped inviting Shane or? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And it was your cooking that won him over. Yeah. It must have been better back then. <laughs> <laughs> Zach's become a food snob since he's left home. <laughs> you don't follow my Instagram and you don't see the food I cook of my stories, you're missing out. Um, I had a friend reach out to me just last night. He said, I'm living vicariously through your food. <laughs> With, which I'm very proud of him for doing too because, honestly, the last thing you want is, is your son to leave home and be eating meat pies every day and, and you know, easy takeaway food. So I'm very proud of him. He, he makes an effort. He cooks beautiful food. But I've found that... I mean, I'm still an old-fashioned cook, you know, the, the roast meals, that that type of um, dinner and, and stews and, and those simple things. I'm, I'm not a fancy cook, you know. We like just the plain, plainer type of food, whereas Zach's more into... Um, well, as my housemates say, I'm stuck in Italy at the moment. Yeah, that's right. He's, in, he's in Italy at the moment. So our bolognese just doesn't stack up to Zach's at all. <laughs> You know, and you've got to have the proper cheese and the proper pasta and everything like that. So I'm, I'm really proud of him. He looks after himself. It's it's really good. Spend a bit too much money on it, but... Yeah, it's good food, though. <laughs> and it's a matter of staying healthy. Mm. So, look, aside from giving... like I, I, I want to just go back here. What was the time frame between God, if you want a man in my life, bring him to my front door, and then Dad actually rocking up at the front door? Oh gosh, I don't know. Probably twelve months or something, or, or a bit longer, I think. Okay, so roughly. It so it wasn't like the standard story you hear from a Christian. It's like I told God that if you want to bring the man in my life, and then one week later, boom. No. <laughs> so it wasn't like one of the. No. But what? What? Look, because we don't have a lot of we don't have a lot more time. But what? Are, a lot of time left, and you've got a seafood platter to get to. But like, what did God do in your life as you started to become a Christian? Well, my old life really did disappear as as far as um, drinking, going out, that sort of thing. That went all by the wayside. And I, I've just become, I suppose, a better person. I understood God more. And 
I just wanted everybody saved. What I had experienced with God, because old things are passed away, everything becomes new. And there was a lot of things in my past that I did that, you know, I was ashamed of. You know, I was, I wasn't, um, you know, living a perfect life or anything. But to know that you're truly forgiven. Mm. is absolutely amazing and to have an opportunity to start again and to get things right and to do it God's way is an absolute gift in itself to know that I don't have to live feeling guilty or anything like that anymore my past is God God accepts me for who I am mm. and that that's that's just awesome that that's just un, unexplainable to know that who you are and how much God loves you. He loves you that much that he can forgive everything else. So it makes you a better person because then you can go forward in life with that attitude and treat people around you with that same attitude and share that with them to set people free. Mm. And And that's all I wanted to do in life after that was to be able to share Jesus and have everybody saved and for other people to experience that closeness with God and get to know him like I had. Mm, that's powerful. And I suppose what you said there as well, because I thought I was actually thinking about this last night, I recorded a little, just a little thing. Um, and what I was sort of explaining was this idea of, you know, the, the two commandments, hold all the law it's like love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself and I guess the thing that you learn about God is is that like a lot of people we don't a lot of people don't love themselves and it's a very hard thing to do because you let yourself down you let other people down other people let you down so other people let you down so you must not be worth it to them you let yourself down so you're just hopeless and you're useless how could you love yourself and I guess when you have the love of God in your life and you realize that God accepts you for who you are that helps you to learn to love yourself because you begin to accept yourself for who you are and then you get to realize that other people aren't too different and you can accept other people for exactly who they are that's right yeah but it all starts from that first commandment which is love god because god loves you and when you love god it's like that creates that relationship where it, you know it's going both ways yeah and then from there when you receive the love of god you can then project that out into your life and into other people's lives yeah and that's, I guess, in, in my mind, in simplest view, that's what a Christian is supposed to be doing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about what you've experienced from God. It's sharing it with others mm. so that others can also be set free from their sin mm. and have that love of God. And honestly, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have God in my life. I, I was going down a bad, bad path. But not only that, all through my life, I I have peace. She's not joking. Uh, you know, I've 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 been around for what twenty five years and twenty five years now, going on twenty six, getting old, getting a few grey hairs. But I mean, this lady's unshakable. Yeah, and I don't know without God how other people or how my friends they don't have this peace that I have. I don't know what other people do when you don't have God. Where does your peace come from? I don't understand. Mm. Because I have a peace. I know where I'm going. I know where my eternity is. I've chosen 
what side I'm on. And you know, it's interesting you say that because the Bible says like you either you either choose God or you're already against Him. That's right. And that that's one of the harder concepts for people to swallow. But the idea is that we are fallen. Yeah. And that we have to, I suppose, just accept God, and that's the way back. It's it's in the belief. That's so, right. And God's made it very simple. And that's the other thing I couldn't understand either, or that was a real good revelation for me is how simple it is to come to God that a sinner can be a sinner one day and and within a second choose Jesus and be saved and have a transformed new life mm. well look you've got a seafood platter to get to I think my camera is about to run out but any last words to, to my listeners I can only recommend that if you if you've ever wondered about God, that you give it a go. Doesn't doesn't cost you anything. Just give it a go. Sincerely ask Jesus into your heart, and ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And when He does that, I'm sure you'll choose His ways because His way, honestly, is the only way. And we're all going to one day um, stand before God and be accounted for. Mm. So nobody escapes. Nobody is going to escape it. Whether you believe it or not, you're going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And now is the time in our living time is when you need to accept Jesus as Lord. And honestly, it's it's the best life. You Mm. still have ups and downs. But at the end of the day, you you've just got the, you've got God in your life, Creator. Mm. What what's better than that? Yeah, nothing. And, and it's personal, and That's he cares right. he cares about you, and he cares about your day to day life. And I can attest to it; he will change and shake up your life if you let him. Um, yeah. But look, the camera's gone off, but that's fine. Um, so on the YouTube video, yeah, we're just going to fade out with the logo over this last bit of conversation. That's all fine. But look. Mum, thank you very much for your time. Happy birthday. Congratulations on being almost 60. Yes, thank you. And for making your condition of release to so you can officially become a pensioner. Yes. Um, look, if you've listened to today's show and you've enjoyed, please don't forget to like. Share this. If you've enjoyed today's conversation or you got something out of it, make sure you share this with somebody else because I think my mum just dropped some absolute wisdom, positivity, and, you know, she, she gave you the, the biggest gift anybody can give you, which is an opportunity to accept God in your life, which you don't have to. So if you listen to this and you're not religious, you don't care about it, you don't, you, you don't have to let that bother you. But if you thought this conversation did something for you, share it, subscribe for future episodes, and if you want my mum back on the show at some point, I want to hear from you in the comments. But anyways, other than that, I'll see you all next time. That's a wrap, mum. Thank you so much for being brave and for sharing your story. Thank you, darling.